Um, We have arrived at Matthew 28 this week. We have been journeying, sometimes running, sometimes crawling through Matthew on purpose. Um, And we're at the last chapter, um, hard to believe. And the slide here, again, I want to reiterate, Matthew's main purpose in writing this gospel is to show primarily his Jewish audience that Jesus Christ is the King, the Messiah that they've waited for all these years. And today we we, we left Jesus in the tomb. Sorry, we left him there for two weeks. Apologize for that. Didn't mean to do that. Um, And some of y'all may be like here this morning, you're going, is this Easter? Why are we talking about the resurrection? Because that's where we're at in Matthew. That's why we're talking about the resurrection this morning. Um, and just what a what a passage, what what a book it's been, what a study it's been, uh, what a morning it's been already. Uh, and thankful to God for who He is and what He's doing. Now, <clears throat> as as a start into this, before we get into the actual passage, I've seen some social media posts over the past few months that ask the question: If you could go back and see one movie like you had never seen it before, what movie would it be? And it's asking if there's any movie you really like and have seen so many times that it just it basically doesn't affect you like it did the first time. Uh, and you'd like to go back and experience that again. As a movie guy, now this intrigues me. Um, I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, and I love Star Wars Episode Four, but that came out in 1977. I was three and a half, and I actually didn't see it in theaters until I was six, just before episode five came out. And if I was going to pick one movie to experience again like I'd never seen it before, it would be The Empire Strikes Back. Just, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But man, you're like, what? You know, it's like, I remember 1980 sitting there going, he went there. They did that. I didn't think that exactly, but that's... But I'd like to go back and experience that again like I'd never seen it before. Lord of the Rings, I mentioned that. The first time I saw it, we were very holy uh, back in the day, my wife and I. And we didn't go to movies uh, for a while. Um, And so we didn't see the first Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring in the theaters. But instead, as the second one was coming out, kind of like the Star Wars deal, we read the books. And then got interested in seeing the movie, so I borrowed the extended version DVDs from a friend of mine at the theater. And I went home, and Amanda and Hannah at the time were asleep in bed. And I'm, we had a TV that was not as big as this iPad. I don't know how big. Maybe as big as this phone, you know. And I sat down in the floor in front of this TV with headphones on, and I watched the Fellowship of the Ring extended version from like midnight to 4 a.m., Okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'd like to go back and do that again and maybe in a little different way and maybe a little differently. Well, today we're going to read Matthew's account of Jesus's resurrection and oh, that we could hear it like we've never heard it before. I saw a a thing on Twitter the other day. It's been a long time ago. It said, man, I started reading the Bible and they killed my favorite character. (laughs) And then he came back and said, oh, never mind. He comes back to life. (laughs) Oh, that we could see and feel and experience and know the wonder of Jesus coming back from the dead and the joy of understanding of what that means for us 
and how that applies to our everyday lives. I know that's not possible anymore that I'm able to go back and hear, no, I'm your father, or this is the one ring, like I've never heard him before. But maybe, just maybe, God can do some revealing and illuminating to help us in this time. And maybe, just maybe, the rewards would be life-changing. He is able. Now, one caveat as we start to, I am not here this morning going to try to prove to you that the resurrection happened. Okay? I'm simply conveying the truth as conveyed in the Word of God like Matthew is intending to do by writing this down. Matthew is not seeking to prove that this happened. Matthew is simply relating what happened. Okay? And the evidence is overwhelming. So many have set out to disprove the historicity of the resurrection of this epic event in God's redemptive timeline, and they've only come to the conclusion that actually this really did happen. The evidence is overwhelming. And just as a simple statement of fact in this vein of thought, the body of Jesus has never been found or produced. And I'll just leave that there, okay? Because if that body could have been produced, it surely would have been. Somebody would say, this is all a lie. Look, here's the dead guy. But that's never happened. And 2,000 years later, those seeking to say that Jesus is dead cannot and will not find the dead body of Jesus because he's alive. And he is seated at the right hand of God in the place of power and glory where he reigns and rules and awaits the day that he returns to judge individuals and to reign and rule over all the earth. So with that in mind... Let's read today's passage, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. We would ask you to stand as we read these amazing words that we know and confess and believe are the very words of God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did just as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is alive. And I pray that in this time as we dive into your word, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, convict us. And Father, if there be anybody here this morning that has not placed their faith in this risen Savior, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak life 
resurrection life into the dead spirits of the unbelievers who are here this morning. Only you can, and we trust that you will, God. So have your way, Holy Spirit. Teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm talking fast because we've got a lot to do here this morning, y'all. Verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, it does seem like kind of a bad joke that we did leave Jesus in the tomb for two weeks because he was not there that long. Okay, sorry about that. Luke asked me, Luke preached last week, and he asked me what passage he should preach, whether to stay in Matthew or not. And I'm like, dude, I've got two passages left in Matthew, the resurrection and the Great Commission. So, yeah, keep your hands off my texts. Go find something else. Let me have these two. We've made it all the way through Matthew. I'd like to have the resurrection and the Great Commission. Thank you very much. So y'all covered a psalm last week, if you remember. Um, Now, when we were last in Matthew, at the end of chapter 27, Jesus' dead body was laid in the tomb of a man named Joseph, who was from Arimathea. Joseph had approached Pilate personally and petitioned Pilate for Jesus' body, And Joseph had taken that body, the dead body of Jesus, and we said it's important to know that Jesus did die. And then he laid that dead body in the tomb that Joseph had had cut out of the rock in which no person had ever been laid. And again, we're not telling a story. We're relating historical facts here this morning. And we saw that after Jesus had been laid in the tomb and a stone rolled over the entrance, a big stone... That took many people to move. After that, there were some people who ended up at the tomb as well. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there at the end of chapter 27, sitting opposite the tomb. And there were also a group of Roman soldiers at this tomb who were put there to make the tomb secure as they could at the orders of the chief priests and the scribes. Remember that? They had used the guards and some wax (laughs) to seal the grave. To keep it secure as they knew how. Well, good luck. This is not your lucky couple days. So anyway, here at the beginning of chapter 28, it's now after the Sabbath. Verse 28, verse 1. Chapter 27 had ended as the Sabbath was starting. And we don't have any record of the Sabbath itself because ultimately, I think, God saw that the Sabbath had been fulfilled and there's no need to explain what happened that day. What did Jesus do? I don't know what he was doing. Did he descend into hell? Did he? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know he was dead and his spirit was not in his body. He had yielded up his spirit there on the cross. And I don't know what happened on the Sabbath, but here the Sabbath has ended. It's the third day since Jesus' death. The day of his death, the Sabbath, and now this day after the Sabbath which was the first day of the Jewish week. The Sabbath being the seventh day as commanded by God from creation. So here, toward dawn of the first day of the week. Now get that. It's toward or almost dawn. Let me give you a little bit of West Virginia slang. That means it's early, y'all. Actually, I'd say it's late. It's late night. It's not even dawn yet. It's, it's really, I don't know what time it is, but it's really early, y'all. You could even say it's late. Uh, really, really late at night. Not quite dawn. And these two ladies, and we'll see later, it's not just these two ladies, but Matthew just gives us these two ladies. And I'm going to labor to stay in Matthew's account only. We will dip into John. I can't help it. Um, But we're not trying to paint a full orb picture, a full timeline of the resurrection events. That's what Matthew's goal, so it's not our goal here. Again, let the text speak for itself. Let the context be the context. Uh, We don't always have to see the full picture. 
Uh, we just need to see what Matthew's trying to tell us. So there were other ladies, but Matthew only mentions Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And what are they doing not quite at dawn? Well, at some point, they had left the tomb uh, when Jesus died and was laid there. They probably went and observed the Sabbath. And now, late, late at night, toward dawn on that first day of the week, these two ladies are coming back to the tomb. Now, what are they coming back to do? Luke tells us, again, we dip our toe just in Luke. I'm not even going to put up the reference. Luke tells us that they're coming with spices to help treat the dead, decaying body of their Lord and Rabbi. They're coming back expecting a dead man to anoint his body with spices to try to preserve him a little longer from stinking. That's what they're doing. Now get that. They came to minister to a dead man. One more chance to render service to this one whom they had loved so much. Another step in their grieving process. And it struck me as I read this and reread it and listened to stuff and read stuff. Oh, the love these ladies showed to a Christ even though they thought he was dead. But, well, let's just say they didn't get what they were expecting. Anybody ever get nine nuggets in your eight-piece meal? Yeah. Yeah. Blessed and highly favored, right? <laughs> they get a little bit more than an extra nugget. Verse 2. Some of you are like, I got that just the other day. And behold... There was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And behold, Matthew says, I'd say so. That phrase, and behold, is Matthew's way of saying, stop what you're doing and focus on this. These ladies are coming late at night, early at dawn to this tomb, and what happens? As they're on their way, there was a great earthquake. Now remember, there had been an earthquake the day of Jesus' crucifixion too. Everybody in that area must be going, what in the world is going on? So another earthquake on this third day, and this one is called a great earthquake. Megas seismos is the Greek. Like when Jesus had calmed the sea, remember that? During the storm, the disciples were megas phobos. They were greatly afraid. You're going to see a lot of megases today in the text. This was a significant movement of the ground. This was not an aftershock from a couple days before. This was a significant Big earthquake, a great earthquake, Matthew says. Why? Why was there a great earthquake? For, the text says, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Yes, this is awesome. God sent an angel down. And again, other texts say there were two angels. And where there's two, there's one, right? It's not a contradiction. If I say there's two guys sitting here, and I'm like, there's a guy sitting here. No contradiction there. Sorry, I'm trying to prove. I'm going to stop. Okay? God sent an angel down to earth to this place where Jesus had been buried, and this angel's assignment was to roll this big old rock away from the front of the tomb. And we had said in chapter 27 that the size of this stone was such that it would have taken multiple men to move it. Well, the power of this one angel was enough to move it. As a matter of fact, the arrival of this angel was such that when he arrived, it shook the earth with a great earthquake. It wasn't the stone moving that shook the ground, okay? It was the arrival of the angel. And it shook the earth with a great earthquake. And and that earthquake is a sign of God at work, okay? So much like the angel, So much like at the crucifixion. God showed up 
and announced his working through an earthquake when this angel arrived. And I love that the angel doesn't just roll the stone back. He sat on it after he moved it. Hey, (laughs) y'all. Nice rock. Yeah, this is a nice stone block in this tomb entrance. Be a shame if somebody rolled it away and sat on it, wouldn't it be? And then Matthew describes this angel for us. Verse 3. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Now, I'm pretty sure this is how kids describe me in school. Yeah, I don't have to laugh. His appearance was like lightning. I like that. Maybe not. Maybe that's not how they describe it. They describe this angel this way, but what a description. His appearance was like lightning. Now, how do you respond to lightning when you see it? Well, if it's far away in the distance, ooh, ah. What if it hits right beside you? You're not doing it on. You're going in and changing your drawers because you're scared to death, right? Something happened. Okay, how close is this lightning that we're talking about? Well, this angel was right there. And his appearance, his look was like lightning right in front of these folks. Now keep that in mind for the next verse. But for now, Matthew says that this angel's clothing was white as snow. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. Now try to get that picture in your head. Snow white lightning right in front of you. Coming down out of heaven right in front of you. Rolling this big stone away and sitting down on it. And again, we read, yeah, yeah, angel, lightning, set on tomb. How would that affect you? Well, probably this way, verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Oh, we forgot about those guards, right? There were guards at the tomb, sent to make the tomb as secure as they knew how. (laughs) And I figure they felt this was a cake job. Guard a tomb, keep a dead guy in there, and keep anybody else out. Well, if... As a Roman soldier, if I remember right, this guy, that this loser that had been crucified that's in that tomb, the dead guy, didn't have any advanced or highly trained militiamen that followed him. So we can handle anybody who might dare think of trying to steal his body. It's no problem. Fishermen and losers and a bunch of women. We can handle that as Roman soldiers, right? And then this happens. They guarded the tomb... Now, from Friday evening all the way down into Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. No problem. And then snow white lightning guy shows up. Comes down out of heaven, moves this giant stone like it's a crumb by himself, and then he sits down on it. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Yeah, they did. The literal Greek would read to us as they quaked and changed to like dead. They had their own little earthquake, didn't they? (laughs) Now keep in mind, these are Roman soldiers. This is not the Sophia police, y'all. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) Is Sophia policeman out there? You're not a Roman soldier. Let me just say it that way. (laughs) These are men of Rome. These are soldiers of Rome, highly trained, part of the greatest military force the world had ever known. And at the sight of this angel and in the midst of a great earthquake, they passed out cold for fear. Ever seen those fainting goats? If you haven't, go home and waste a half an hour this evening on YouTube and look up fainting goats. It's a thing. And like they get scared and they just lock up and boink, they just fall over. It's beautiful. That's kind of what happens to these guys. Fight, flight, or freeze? Yeah, right. How about fall from fear? 
Their bodies couldn't compute or handle what they were seeing. Hearing, feeling, and such. The amygdala activates, fight, fight, or freeze, we're dead. Bam, they just fall on the ground. And they trembled and became like dead men. Yeah, they did. But what about the women? How'd they handle this angel? But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. See how this verse starts with but? It's contrastive. Big bad Roman soldiers are scared out of their sandals, but the angel said to the women, in contrast to scaring the bejeebies out of the soldiers, this angel speaks to the women not to frighten them, but from what he says it would seem to comfort and encourage them. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be like these soldiers who are unconscious in front of you. For, and this is a big for, I know, the angel says, that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, that guy you love who was killed by crucifixion a couple of days. So why would that help them to not be afraid? Verse 6. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And again, oh, for the chance to hear this like we've never heard it before. Jesus, who had been killed by crucifixion just a couple of days ago, who had been laid in this tomb following his death, is not there. And there's no gap in that, that he's not here, and then getting the explanation of why he's not there. He's not here for he has risen. And we're like, yeah. But imagine being these ladies. He's not here. He has risen. He is risen. Does not compute. He is risen. Does not compute. Huh? He's not here for he has risen. He has risen from the grave. The word for risen means resurrected. It means that he is alive after he had been dead. He has risen as he said. Remember, Providence, that as we made our way through Matthew's gospel, Jesus has said on multiple occasions that he would be betrayed, handed over to the chief priests and the Romans, that he would be crucified, and he would rise again on the third day. Peter rebuked him the one time. You know, may it never be, Lord. And You're not serving me. Get behind me, Satan. Remember all that? He's told him. Well, the third day is here, and guess who ain't? Jesus. He's not here. For he has risen as he said. He told you, now it's come to pass. Come, see the place where he lay, the angel says. And I've heard both John MacArthur and Ray Vanderlaan point out that the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let them see in. There wasn't no rock going to keep a resurrected Jesus in that tomb. And what's funny is we don't even see Jesus here. It's not like he's standing there going, verified, hey y'all, it's me. They're like... He's not here. He's risen, as he said. I moved the stone so you could come and see. Come, come on in this empty tomb and see the place where his dead body had lain. Past tense. But that lane is in the past tense because he ain't there laying anymore. Again, the wonder, the confusion, the hope. And not just for the Marys here. Look at verse 7. The angel goes on to say, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. 
So come and see and go and tell, which is a really good model for church, by the way. Come in here to see and to hear and to get seed for your sack and then go out there and tell people. Come and see, then go and tell. Go quickly and tell who? Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Go tell his guys that he's risen from the dead. Hey, ladies, go tell the disciples what you've seen here. Jesus is alive and not just alive. He's going before you to Galilee. Now, Galilee is where Jesus had spent most of his time in his three-plus years of ministry, away from the hubbub and religious focus down in the south where they're at right now in Jerusalem for celebration of the Passover. Jesus had been, spent most of his ministry time up north in Galilee. And we know from the other gospel accounts from Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus does appear to these disciples while they were there in Jerusalem, but Matthew does not tell us about those times. Instead, the angel tells of an appointed place to go and see him. He, Jesus, is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, the angel says, I have told you. Angels are messengers. That's their role. The word for angel literally means messenger. They minister to God's people, carrying God's words and messages to them. And this angel had a message for these ladies. Jesus is risen. Come and see, and then go tell his disciples. See, I've told you. Angel's mission is accomplished. These ladies now know, and now they're responsible for what they know. So are you. So what do they do with this unimaginable information? Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So they do exactly what they were told to do. They were told to go tell the disciples of Jesus that Jesus had risen from the dead. So, Matthew says, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Yeah, it's both and. And ran to tell his disciples. Now, we'll talk more about that in a second. But don't forget at this point, again, these ladies hadn't seen anything except an empty tomb. They're going on the word of the angel and the sight of the empty tomb. And they departed quickly from the tomb. How? With fear and great joy. And again, just imagine. We're just so dead to this. We acknowledge it and say, man, that's wonderful, that's great. But I don't think we could possibly feel the wonder that these ladies were feeling with fear and great joy. Phobos kai megas kara is the Greek transliteration. With fear and great joy. Megas joy. Is it possible that we could get a glimpse, a brief passing glance at what they must have felt, even sight unseen, running to tell the disciples what the angel had said and what they had seen? But they ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. They're running on the word of an angel to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he's going to meet them up north in Galilee, which is about a four day walk, by the way. And as they're running to tell them, well, looky, looky, looky. And oh, to know what this must have felt like. And behold, stop and focus on this Jesus met them. What a monstrous three words. Jesus met them. The guy who had been dead as recently as a few hours ago, 
the guy that they were bringing spices to anoint his dead body so he wouldn't stink. Jesus, the crucified, buried one, is now alive. Just like the angel had said he was. And he meets them there on the road and he says, Greetings. Literally, hi. Hello. (laughs) He's all nonchalant. Hi. And they see him and they hear him. And yes, they touch him. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They see him, he says hi, and they fall at his feet in worship. They run to the feet of Jesus. And they fall down and they worship him, grabbing his feet. Which really is the right thing to do. And they do just that. They have seen for the first time the resurrected Christ. And they worship The rabbi who was dead is now the risen Lord. And worship's right here. And the wording is as clear as it can be. Physically, they prostrated themselves as low as they could. They grabbed his feet and they worshipped. They showed profound reverence and love for this now risen man they had loved and served over the past three plus years. And how does Jesus respond? Now watch this. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, this is interesting. These ladies, who hadn't been the least bit afraid of the angel, that had scared the Roman soldiers almost to death, fall down at Jesus' feet and worship him. And his response to them is, do not be afraid. Well, first of all, he had to make sure they weren't seeing a ghost or a zombie, right? I don't know if they had zombie flicks back then. I doubt it. But he tells them, don't be afraid. Why? Look at this definition for this word afraid. We won't read all that. Phobeo. Anybody got a phobia? It means you're afraid of something, okay? 93 occurrences in the authorized version translated as fear, be afraid, be afraid of, reverence once, and translated miscellaneously twice. To put to flight by terrifying, that's not it. To put to flight to flee, that ain't it. To fear to be afraid, no. To be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm, maybe. Of those startled by strange sights or occurrences, definitely. Of those struck with amazement, absolutely. To fear to be afraid of one. I don't think they're afraid of Jesus. To fear, in other words, to hesitate to do something for fear of harm. I don't think they're afraid he's going to hurt them. I like this though. To reverence, venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. Now what does this mean in this verse? Well, again, I've tried to stay in Matthew's account for this message as much as I could. I've got to jump into John to kind of get a better feel for what this means. If you do put all the gospel accounts together and see what all happened here at this time of the resurrection, you'll find that there were more than two women at the empty tomb. The two that Matthew mentions is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, whom we've seen before to be referencing Mary, the wife of Clopas. Well, other women were there, and at one point, if you put all the accounts together, Magdalene goes off alone to find Peter and John to tell them what had happened. Well, we're going to look in John 20 where Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene alone as she stands alone at the empty tomb. So she's run off. She's found Peter and John. Peter and John go to the tomb. Sure enough, it's empty just like she said. And they go away to tell other people it's true. It's true what Mary said. The tomb's empty. And Mary is standing at the tomb alone. Mary Magdalene. 
John 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, there's our two angels, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. That's unfortunate. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She loves this man. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. So now translate that back into this Matthew passage. Because there in John, Jesus told Mary Magdalene, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And I think that's more of what's going on back in Matthew with Jesus telling the women not to fear. That definition of fear had included to reverence, venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. And I think Jesus is saying, don't worship me quite yet because I got more to do. And when I finish what what I'm going to do, I'm going to ascend, he tells Mary Magdalene, to the Father. And when I ascend to my Father, he's going to be your Father too. And so he's not saying I'm not worthy of worship. He's just saying, just wait until you see what else I'm going to do. Wait until you see not just what my resurrection, but what my showing myself to people and my ascension is going to do for you because when I ascend to the Father, oh man, things are going to be good. Until he gets done with all that he intends to do over the next 40 days or so. And he'll spend those 40 days appearing at different times to different people, at his choice, by the way. And then he will ascend into heaven And be seated at the right hand of the Father. It is then, like Will mentioned this morning, that his exaltation will be complete. And it is then that proper worship can be given to him in his exalted place. Because it's not enough that Jesus was resurrected. He could have just lived on earth the rest of his life. And he will one day. He's also got to ascend into heaven, which is where we're going to find him when we look at the um, Great Commission passage. He's going to ascend to the Father And then we're going to really know how to worship him and what to worship him for. Not here on earth at his feet, but in heaven at the very throne of God with him and in him. And we'll talk about that in application some. But for now, Jesus tells the women back in Matthew to not fear, not reverence or worship, but to go tell the disciples, this isn't time to cling to my feet. It's time to go tell my disciples that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. There's a lot to get done, and the scene isn't properly set yet completely. So get going. I'll see you later. And that's where we leave him and them today. But there's one more detail to work out from this passage. Verses 11 to 15. Let's read that. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers And said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now we're going to take all of that in one swipe due to time 
and how it's conveyed. When we last left these Roman soldiers, where were they? Placed at the tomb to keep it secure as they knew how. Well, the angel had come down, Mr. White Lightning, and they passed out cold. Bam. The earth shook, they shook, and they passed out cold. That's where we left them. Now, as we rejoin their story, we find them awake, and they're kind of going, uh-oh. What are we going to do, boys? Because let me let you in on a little secret. If Rome gives you a task and you fail at it, your head is going to be extracted from your body. You don't fail Rome. Because Rome holds people accountable. The New York Yankees could use that right now. Sorry, y'all don't need to hear that. (laughs) So they're sitting there at this empty tomb going, we were placed here to keep this secure. It was good Friday. It was good yesterday. This morning we are in trouble. What are we going to do? So we find them awake and going to the chief priests to explain what had just happened. They should not have abandoned their post, first of all. And they did. Again. So they put their heads together before they get cut off. And they come up with this. They take it to the chief priests. We'll let them figure out what we should do. Okay? Well, the chief priests didn't fall and worship God for his resurrecting power. No. They had to get busy finding a way to explain away what God had done. Now, remember, they're the ones who had placed the guards there and said, now this imposter said while he was alive that after three days, after he died, he was going to come back to life. So we can't, we can't let that fallacy happen. We can't let people think that that might happen. So keep that tomb secure. So now they're like, oh, shoot, the tomb's empty. What are we going to do? So they've got to find a way to explain away what God has done. So they put their heads together and come up with this. They gave the soldiers what Matthew calls a sufficient sum of money. And they tell the soldiers to tell people who ask what happened, tell them that the disciples came by night and stole the body of Jesus while they were asleep. And I guess that sounds okay to the chief priests and elders, but these soldiers are like... We're dead men. We don't need your money because we're going to die. The other thing is, they told him that, to say that it was while they were asleep. Well, Roman guards alternated their watches so that somebody was always awake. Their watch might have been two, three, four hours, but it was there in place to make sure that not everybody was asleep. So they had failed at their duty multiple times over. If they tell this lie... And so they're still going to die. So here's the deal. These chief priests assure these guards that if the governor, remember old Pilate? If Pilate hears this lie that you're telling and it gets you in trouble that you were sleeping and failed at your assignment, we'll take care of Pilate. We've got him on a string. We'll make sure he doesn't kill you and we'll make sure that nothing happens to you. And man, these chief priests and elders are snakes. Absolute positive snakes. So, Matthew says, the soldiers leave with a small fortune. They're like, dudes. That angel was scary, but check out our cash. And they go out and they start telling this lie. What happened at that tomb? I heard it was empty. Oh, the disciple. We fell asleep, you see. And those disciples came and they took the body. Oh, okay. 
To the point that Matthew says some are still telling that story as an explanation of happened to explain away the missing dead guy who said that he would be crucified and rise again. And Matthew wrote this gospel some 30 plus years after all these events took place. And he says that that lie was still being told at the time of his writing. An easy, palatable lie to explain away the truth of the resurrected Lord. And if it works for you, go on with your bad self. The Jews certainly did. Worked for them. Good. Glad that passed. Glad we covered that up. Glad people don't really know that he did come back to life. Because that's really bad news for us because we killed him. So the Jews bought it. Told it for 30 plus years. Who knows how long they told it. There are still people saying it. Well, the disciples just took the body of Jesus. Again, I'm not here to prove it. Matthew says it's a lie. And it's a lie. Jews believed it because it was convenient for them. What about us? Benjamin Franklin said at the completion of the Constitution, you're like, what? 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 <laughs> Your message must have stay with me. Benjamin Franklin said at the completion of the Constitution, our new Constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable, but in this world, nothing is certain except... Death and taxes. Well, we're going to look at application from this passage with two of his certainties plus an obvious third one. We're going to look at application through three non-alliterated points. Everybody's like, what? How am I going to remember them? You're going to remember them. Our three application points this morning are death, taxes, and life. Actually, the order will be taxes, death, and life. As per usual, I'll try to to make that make sense for you. Application. How do we apply what we've seen in the scripture today to our lives? The first application point is taxes. And some of you are like, what? Okay. You have to pay your taxes. Okay. You don't have to like it. But if you don't do it, you're going to get in trouble. You have to settle your tax account with the IRS, with the government. You owe the government money. You're like, taxation is theft. I don't care. You've got to pay your taxes. Al Capone, heinous mobster, killed people, had people killed. What did he go to jail for? Tax evasion. You know, forget the Tommy guns and all the dead people. He didn't pay his taxes. That's how they got him. You have to pay your taxes. You have to settle that account. And some of you kids are like, I don't go pay no taxes. Well, you will. Remember one time I was at... uh, Ames. I remember Ames down at the Raleigh Mall. Anybody remember Ames? And I had $3, and I found a G.I. Joe figure that was $2.99. I'm like, yes. So I went up to the counter, and she said, that's going to be three seventeen. I'm like, it says two ninety nine. I got $3. And she looked at me, and she said, Taxes. She was kind. She took my $3. And anyway, you have to pay your taxes. You don't have a choice. Now listen to me. I don't care who you are, where you are in your life, how old you are, how young you are, what you will do today. Eventually, you have got to settle the account of what the gospel tells us today. 
You have got to settle the account and answer the question, is Jesus resurrected or not? This is the issue. The one issue that has to be settled on whether or not to believe the gospel accounts. you got to pay your taxes and you have to come to grips with this question. Did Jesus rise from the grave or not? And there are only two options. You have to pick one side or the other. Either Jesus died and stayed dead or he died and rose again. There are no other options. If Jesus is dead, this whole Christianity thing's a farce. And it really is just the opiate of the masses and we're consoling ourselves with a lie. But if he's alive, then he is the Lord of glory whom you will have to answer to on the final day. And the record is clear. The verdict is in. The tomb was empty. Even the guards and the chief priests agreed on that. And if you believe that Jesus is still dead, you have got to find a way to reconcile the empty tomb. And not just the empty tomb. I love what R.C. Sproul said. He said, our faith is not verified only by an empty tomb. The post-resurrection appearances of Jesus do that. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that he, he showed himself alive to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. And Paul says some of whom at that time are still alive. You can go ask them whether they saw him or not. Now we don't have that luxury, obviously, but we've got the record of it. And if you decide, no, Jesus is still dead, what are you going to do with this empty tomb? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and Will and I conspired in this in no way. I've learned to not even be surprised by this anymore. This is how God works. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Now, Paul's talking to a church here, Corinthian church, mind you, but the church, none the same. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I've heard people say so many times, even if Christianity is not true, it's the best life to live. That ain't what Paul said. Paul said, if the resurrection is not true, then Christianity is not true. And if Christianity is not true, we're, we're of all people most to be pitied. We're a bunch of dummies. A bunch of idiots going, dead guy came back to life. And the world's going, whatever. Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 15, pins everything on the resurrection. And so do we. We don't have a choice. 
If you can disprove the resurrection, I'll shut my mouth forever and never preach this word again. You can't. You will not, ever. You may come to a favorable decision in your own life, but you'll never disprove these accounts. They're too good. They're too rock solid. They're the very words of God. And today, you will either walk out this door or that door. If you're weird, you'll go out that door. I don't know why you would. But... And having walked out these doors, you will be in one camp or the other. Either Jesus is alive or he's not. There's no middle ground. And I'm here to tell you, he's live. Woo! This is the one issue, just like taxes, that you have to settle the account on. Taxes. Second thing, second application point is death. Oh, y'all. Since Christ is raised, death has lost. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold! Stop and look. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, which that's resurrection life, and this mortal body must put on immortality, resurrection life. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that was written, and what we sang this morning, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our, I would add, risen Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why is your labor not in vain? Because your death is not final. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never die. That doesn't mean that, we, that this body won't pass away. It means that if my spirit does leave my body in death, my body is going to be raised on the last day and my spirit's going to be reunited with my body and that body's going to turn from a body, from a perishable body into an imperishable body, a resurrected body, a glorified body just like Jesus' resurrection body. Listen, believer, you have no reason to fear death. Dying is a different story. I don't know how you're going to die. It may be awful. But you don't have to worry about death because it's not final. Because Jesus came out of the tomb. That's a big load off, right? What happens when you die? Nothing. You get eaten by worms. Well, them worms are going to give me up too. And my body is going to be resurrected. Death does not have the final say. The tomb is empty. Jesus came out in a glorified body. And I'm going to be given a body just like his one day. Because death is dead. Death's beaten. It's conquered. He came out of the tomb and conquered death. We sang about it so much this morning. 
Will and Andrew did such a good job of talking about it too. Death's dead. I ain't worried about that. Mark that off the list. At the do list, death, not worry about it. None of the things I got to worry about. Because Jesus did come out of the tomb. Since Christ is raised, death has lost. Taxes, death, and finally life. Ooh, I'm going to hurry. Since Jesus was raised, nothing, nothing, yes, I am going to say it again, nothing in life is more than we can handle. Since Jesus was raised, nothing in this life is impossible. Since Jesus is raised, nothing in this life is hopeless. Why? Because now I've got resurrection life in me. God has sent His Holy Spirit into my life, which is the very power of God, which is the very power of resurrection, so that in the darkest of times, the worst of times, the hardest of times, the resurrection power of God is active in my life. It's not just death that's a victory. It's life that's a victory because of the resurrected Lord. (laughs) Again, we didn't conspire on this. But I'm going to read Romans 4, 22 to 5, 11, which Will and Andrew read. Listen to this. That is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Yay, God's going to be glorified. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, which is coming upon the sons of disobedience. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his resurrected life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is nothing that life could throw at us that will trump that or overwhelm that or overcome that. Unless we take our eyes off of that, which we're prone to do, right? Last passage. You've got to go to Romans 8, right? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor taxes or life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our resurrected They went to anoint a dead teacher. They found an empty tomb. And they worshipped him when they saw him. How much more should we show that kind of love to the Christ that we know is alive? And here's the Kemper. There's some Kempers. We can. We can relive the wonder of this resurrection day by day by day. As the Holy Spirit of God Himself moves in us and moves in this resurrection power in our lives. We sang this morning, Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain Him. Praise the Lord, He is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when He comes. Singing, O death. Where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake. Come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Let's pray. Father, we have come and heard. And now we are responsible. Every single one of us is responsible. What will we do with the truth of a God-man who lived a perfect life? Who was crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Who died, who was buried, and who was resurrected on the third day. Who showed himself alive to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. And then who ascended and who is now seated at your right hand. In the place of honor and glory. As he awaits the day that he returns to this this earth to judge the living and the dead. And to give resurrection life to those who are his. And eternal punishment to those who have denied, lied about, or refuse this truth of his resurrection. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. Give us minds to know, hearts to feel, hands and feet to do the truth that is the result of the resurrected Christ. Save souls, encourage and edify your saints, and may we go out and be doers of the word and not hearers only. We ask it and expect it in Jesus' name. And amen. You may be, please stand for a benediction.
You may be seated. No, I'm kidding. You've got to stand up. That, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great day.